Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your scriptures and how they come alive. Lord, we thank you for this story of Abigail. And we pray that all of us in the room, men and women, would be shaped by your word. That our life would bear fruit. That we would become more of who you made us to be. More of love and more of joy and more peace and more patience and more understanding. Lord God, meet us here, we ask and beg and pray and believe that you are present this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Chosen by God, week three. Week three. Uh, The sermon title today is called Beauty and the Beasts, plural. Learning to respond with wisdom instead of anger. Learning to respond with wisdom instead of anger or pride. There is a, uh, I don't know if you saw the news this week, pilot Tammy Jo Schultz landed a crippled southwest plane. Uh, One passenger was killed, seven injured. Uh, It's an amazing story. She, you know, acted heroically to land this plane. It it came out that Tammy Jo, she's this amazing person. She was one of the first fighter jet pilots in the Navy. It's incredible. A lot going on even this week about this woman who guided this plane. It's interesting as we segue to the text in the series... When, we get on, when I get on a plane, I'm not checking the cockpit like, oh, is it a woman flying or is it a man? I just want to make sure this person can do the job. Amen? Like, plane, cripple, I mean, it's kind of worst case scenario. And those of you that travel in the, you know, travel professionally, you know, that that's, that's always kind of in the back of your, of your mind. When we come to this series, Chosen by God, we've had some interesting feedback from people. Some people say, gosh, why this series? Are we trying to be relevant merely to culture? Is that what the church is? That feels like an accommodation. It's not at all. Now we teach the scriptures that in the scriptures, God used men and women for his glory. That's what the scriptures are. So for people like, oh, are we trying to just accommodate to culture? No, I appreciate the concerns. It's not what we're doing at all. For others, we receive the feedback. I don't understand the series. This seems like a done deal to me. Women in the leadership. Bethany, you know, is, is licensed female pastors. As you know, Pastor Ruth brings the word, Pastor Anna, like, this is a settled issue. And yet it's an issue that we're still living into. Tammy Jo was one of the first pilots in Navy fighter pilot history. So it's still where we're culture becoming okay with the idea that men and women are chosen by God. That's why the series, we're just going to study the scriptures. It's our only intention. What do the scriptures teach about Men and women chosen by God for his glory. And so today we have this, this interesting text, a text from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 25, where in this text, this woman of great courage, she saves lives in her household. She displays courage. And courage is, is the choice to build up what bitterness and anger want to tear down in us. Courage is the choice to build up what bitterness and anger and pride desire to tear down in us. The image of God in us that anger and pride want to destroy and keep us locked in shame. Courage is that choice to choose what God has for us. And today in this, in this woman, Abigail, she teaches us about courage. She confronts pride. She confronts anger and she diffuses it with wisdom and humility, still very much in a patriarchal society. If you read devotionally the entirety of 1 Samuel 25, there's some stuff that's still hard to to wrestle with about who she belongs to and what happens even at the end of the text. But we're going to focus on Abigail's decision to display courage and and this beauty of, of using God's wisdom to diffuse anger and pride curated by God's grace. 
And I believe in this text is a choice for you, church. Not about women in leadership. No, no, about anger and about pride. And about God's best being displayed in your life through humility. This is about all of us being shaped by the scriptures. Our big idea this morning is simply this, that God teaches that a lack of humility destroys peace in his people, but humility preserves and enables followers not to be enslaved anymore in either anger or in violence to other people. So we have these three character studies. We're going to be looking at all of 1 Samuel 25. I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to use it. We're going to move quick. There's this big story to tell. And the hope would be that that you are bringing your Bible and using it as a guide in your own life during the week. 1 Samuel, uh, let's look at the beginning here. Your first point in your outline, insecurity destroys. First with an expression of pride. 1 Samuel 25 Verses 2 through 11. This is a story uh, encompassed in 1 Samuel 25. Now there's a man in Maon, 1 Samuel 25. A man in Maon who had property there at Carmel. There's a man. He was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. Tremendous amount. He was shearing in in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman. Beautiful inside and out. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. And while David was in the wilderness, he heard Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, these are David's words, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now that I hear that is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, David continues, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. David said, we acted as guards for your people and your sheep, Nabal. And so, David continues, ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. And then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Nabal is, in Hebrew, the word literally means fool. His name literally meant he was a fool. And maybe that was kind of part of his problems, where like our names become us. I'm not sure what his parents were thinking. Not the best choice. If you're pregnant this morning, let's talk. Let's not choose Nabal for future male babies. But this is Nabal's story. He's a, he's a fool. And later in the passage, we're not even going to get to it, but his own insecurity, his own pride, his own drunkenness, his own gluttony becomes his own destruction, That in the scriptures, there's consequences when we feed our sin. There's consequences when we feed our addiction. There's consequences when we feed our insecurity. There's consequences when we live outside of God's authority in our life. And Nabal, he's a display of that. And so he's from Carmel. Interesting, when you study the scriptures, Carmel was the same place where Saul, the existing king, remember David's been anointed in 1 Samuel, but he's not yet ascended to the kingship. We'll get to that. Nabal, he's still under Saul's leadership. Carmel is the place where Saul, the king, built a statue. What did he build a statue of? Of himself. This is Saul's leadership. This is Saul's fruit. He's building statues to himself. And, and Nabal, a man from that area, has, has the same gene. I, I'm, I'm building an idol to myself. I, I'm building a monument of my own glory. So that's where the this, this story takes place. This is a real story that happened in the scriptures. That's the setting. 
And at the time that's really significant is that it's sheep shearing time. Now, if you have 3,000 sheep, you're a man of great means in Carmel. This is a time of, uh, of a party. The, the sheep have survived. It, they're, they're brought in now to be sheared. They've made it past, you know, because of the shepherds and because of provision. They've been fed. They've been watered. They've grown. Like, it, it's time to celebrate. The sheep are home. It's just a sheer, and then there'll be wealth. And so it's a time of drunkenness and joy. And, and in the midst of this, David says, this is the perfect time to just, to just honor the fact, David says, that I've set you up for success, Nabal. I've protected you. And yet, though David makes this simple request merely to be honored, Nabal doesn't do it. He's a picture of foolishness born from pride. And if we, we don't acknowledge the blessings that God has given us, we become little Nabals. We become little people building idols of our own glory. If we're not constantly mindful that God has established us, that God has given to us the resources to, to be you know, able to worship him in public spaces and food on our table, those of us that have a home or apartment, like even to have a dwelling place, place in Seattle is a blessing right now. Many of our friends are homeless. And if you are without a home, you're welcome here. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. But if we live in such a way where we're just, we're clutching and grabbing, and even in times of provision, we're not giving glory and honor to God, we're not being grateful to people that God has brought into our lives, we're, we're missing the opportunity to be humble. And through this text, God is, is, is warning and encouraging that we as God's people are meant to be grateful, we're meant to be generous, we're meant to be humbled. Like our worship of God should humble us. And from that place of, of humility, that's where God wants to take us and establish us. We've told that story before. It's the David story earlier in 1 Samuel, where though he was the eighth son of Jesse, God says, I don't look like you look. I don't look at the outside. I look at the heart. And God says, I will establish you, those who have a heart for following me. Protect your heart. And know that God in his time will honor you and establish you. And if you want to lead, you start with serving others. Like that's the foundation for leadership. You want to love, get ready to humble yourself. You want to be honored, get ready to honor God and others above yourself. The best life in the pursuit of Christ is lay it down. How do we know that? Because in the scriptures, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, Christ, God made him no sin to be sin for us. His own son, holy and beloved, blessed, without sin. God said, I'm going to place the iniquity of others onto him. And so Christ bore our sin so that we might become righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might become, I love that, we might become, we've been given the opportunity to become the full righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means it's all a gift. Every bit of it. It's all a gift. Every bit of it. And though we clutch and grab and believe that we've somehow earned something like this navel, This is the trap that many of us can fall into, that all of it is a gift. Our life, our relationships, our well-being, even our sickness and our hurt and our pain, it it can instruct us and guide us. It's it's all a gift. Will, Will you be grateful for the gift and grateful to the giver? Nabal is this fool who can't be grateful for anything. We're called to be humble. 1 Peter 5 says, in the same way, 
You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And my challenge to you, church, if, if you take a look at the people in your own life who you most respect, my hunch is they're people who display great humility. The people that you honor in your own heart. The people who didn't clutch and grab for power and possession, but they laid it down and God established their authority from that place. This is the awareness that we want to display humility and not clutch and grab. We need to be aware of our own brokenness. Be aware of the own, our own places where we at times fall short. Nobody likes to be aware of brokenness. That's not something we necessarily ascribe to. Because we want to be a little bit like Nabal. You know, building idols to ourselves, and you know, feeling like, hey, I've, I've done it. I've done this good thing on my own. But it's that awareness of our brokenness that makes us humble. And that's where Christ can give us power and authority. If I'm honest with you, church, I am terrified. Terrified of letting you down. I'm terrified of it. And so I'll act with authority, I'll speak with confidence, but oftentimes I'm terrified of letting people down. And and that breeds not, not more humility, but at times it breeds pride and fear. And recently God has given me this vision that the closer and closer we get to the throne of God, there's nowhere to hide. We're fully aware of our brokenness. God has given me that vision of like approaching him closer and closer and, and more authority being given from that place of proximity to the throne. But there's, no, there's nowhere to hide there. And God's in stop hiding. Be aware of your brokenness. And let me transform every little part of you. Stop clutching and grabbing And becoming like Nabal. No, lay it down. And from that place, I will establish you. This is the expression where insecurity destroying expression of pride. It's Nabal's story. And then we have David's story, the expression of anger. Oftentimes, pride and anger are flip sides of the same coin of insecurity. And David expresses this anger. He's disrespected by Nabal. We just read that story. Look at verses 12 and 13. David's been turned around. They went back to David. David just was asking for his fair share. And they're in the wilderness. They need provision. When they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on a well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with his supplies. And in ancient Israel, when you left men with the supplies, it meant you were going to do business. Like the swords are strapped on. This isn't like we're going to go and you know, see how it goes with Nabal. No, the swords are strapped on for violence. We've left men to guard in case war breaks out. We've, we've got a counterattack, you know, kind of provisions for that. David, out of his insecurity, he's angry and he's now breathing murder. He, he's, he wants to murder Nabal for disrespect. That's amazing. Because David, we know, both from 1 Samuel and from Acts, David was a man after God's own heart. David is literally the anointed king in this portion of 1 Samuel. But at the current time, he's an outlaw under the sitting monarch of Saul's regime. So he's been anointed God, and then waiting happens. Okay, we don't even need to go there. How often that we've been anointed with something, and the life of faith calls us to wait. And then this is the thing, that as you wait, God wants to form your heart. 
And you may be tricked to think when the waiting's over, that's when the worship begins. When the waiting's over, that's when the love for God begins. And God said, no, 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 no. As you wait, you're forged into all of my, of my hopes for you. So David's been anointed king, but he's not yet become king. That's so interesting. So he's, he's anointed, but he's waiting to become. Now, what's happening around in, in chapter 24 and in chapter 26, David is being hunted by the king Saul, and David spares his life. Saul is literally trying to kill him. If you can read it this week, 1 Samuel 24, David like cuts his cloak. 1 Samuel 26, David takes the spear. David exercises great mercy and wisdom and justice. It's amazing. Even though, David, even though Saul's coming after him, David's like, no, I'm not going to put innocent blood on my hands. Saul is literally trying to kill him in chapter 24 and chapter 26. But in chapter 25, a man simply disrespects him, and David's like, all right, I'm done. He's gone. He's dead to me. It's amazing, right? Because David, man after God's own, great, great discretion. It's incredible. He's this man of great honor, but he's still in the process of becoming. Can you see it? Men in this room, if we're honest, many of us are chapter 25 guys. We're chapter 25 guys, right? We want to be chapter 24 or 26 guys, that we always do the right thing. We always act with mercy or justice. But if we're honest, many of us, myself included, we're chapter 25 guys. We're in the process of becoming who God says we are. This is a process of becoming all that God says we are. And David, in this chapter 25, he, you know, and this is our story. We, we know we're called. We know we're anointed men in this room. May, may you know that God has a plan in your life. Like, know it, believe it. But then why in chapter 25 of my heart do I rush to anger? Why in chapter 25 did I blow up on my kids? Why in chapter 25 do I look at things that I know is not honoring to, to the people I love? Like, why is my life this chapter 25 life? God says, it's okay. It's okay, just like David, we're gonna, we're gonna make mistakes at times and rush into anger, but we're gonna need people in our lives to humble us and remind us, like Abigail does, of all that God says we are. And David rushes to anger and, and he's like rushing to kind of establish his own kingdom and his anger is willing to just steal life. Anger has this insidious way in our lives of stealing our joy and our peace when we're hurt. That's what anger does. It steals our peace. It steals our joy. And, and it's oftentimes, though not always, it's oftentimes outside of God's best for us. But that raises a great question. Well, when? When is it okay to be angry? I don't know if you're like me. Because of my family of origin, I grew up thinking all anger is bad. I was scared of anger and then I wouldn't know how to deal with big emotions and it would breed into other unhealthy things of being manipulative or, you know, just being, you know, sullen or withdrawing. Like at times in the scriptures, anger is okay. How do we know? Well, the Bible tells us. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, scripture says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. It's like the scriptures acknowledge anger will happen. Just don't let it become a foothold for Satan of destroying God's peace in your life. We know that, that Jesus felt angry when he, when he saw people being manipulated. So, said one author about anger, anger is an instinctive, automatic response to unfairness. 
And so when we feel angry, there's something wrong in our lives, and anger provides the energy required to make it right. It's okay, church, to be angry. That's a, that's a big thing to say. It's okay to be angry. Because in the scriptures, we see people after God's heart that are angry. Mark 3, Jesus looked at anger with the Pharisees, you know, kind of hypocrisy, and then Jesus healed a man. Genesis 31, Jacob was angry with Laban's mistreatment. Exodus 11, Moses was angry with Pharaoh. Exodus 32, Moses sees the worship of idols in his own people, and he's angry. Nehemiah 5, when we witness the destruction of Jerusalem, when he does, Nehemiah is angry. It's okay to be angry. How do I know the difference? If anger is leading to more worship and the image of God helping other people being freed from being enslaved, God says, go ahead and be angry. And don't let people be caught in the trap of being outside of God's best. So if that's the anger that, you know, I've got a holy anger, a righteous anger, because people are being, you know, you know overrun with the enemy, then be angry. But don't let Satan get a foothold in your life. Do not let anger, like David, stem from insecurity. God may be calling you this morning. Anger born of insecurity, we've got to let it go. Because that kind of anger, that kind of insecurity, it it destroys the image of God in us. And so if we want to defeat pride in our life, we need to exercise humility, be humble. And if we want to defeat anger in our life, we're going to have to exercise courage and place security on Christ, that he's going to fight for us. And at times we can let down what is just the anger that's being born out of insecurity because it keeps us trapped, keeps us trapped, church. Palm Sunday, we had this pretty amazing response where we were preaching through Bethany North. If you were here, you experienced it. If you were gone, we missed you. But we're preaching through Psalm 23. And we got to verse 5 and about enemies, and we, we wrote down enemies keeping us enslaved. And people brought it forward and kind of laid it down, and then they took communion. It's powerful, and they were anointed. It's a powerful morning of worship. But the thing that was incredible, reading through hundreds and hundreds of slips of paper, you know what the number one enemy was? It wasn't Bob from accounting or Chuck from IT, though both those departments, you know. No, it was stuff in our own hearts. It was fear. Fear. Number one thing. And also places of addiction and pornography that were keeping people enslaved that we just need to let those things die too. But the number one thing keeping us as a people outside of God's best is fear. And David gets swept up and he's ready to murder. But then there's this woman who intercedes, Abigail, this wisdom, wisdom preserving peace. You can read about her in verse 14 through 19 because she's, she's got this incredible storyline. She's the heroine of the story. She's a woman after God's own heart. She's, a, she's really a type of Christ in this story because she puts herself at risk to, to save people in her household. Let's look at it quickly. Here, verse 14, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were in the fields, nothing was missing. Night and day there were a wall around us while we were herding our sheep. Now think it over, says the servant, and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his household. He's such a wicked man. No one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkeys, and she goes. This is an amazing act of courage. 
Abigail, she had a different name. Remember, Nabal in Hebrew means fool. Abigail's name in Hebrew means my father rejoiced. It's a father's joy. And so Abigail's in a very unhealthy relationship here. And yet she's hearing about what David will probably do to the household, and she knows she wisely needs to make a plan. Now, in, in that culture, the head of the household kind of brought sway over the whole household. And so Nabal kind of casts this, this, this air of destruction over all the household, and Abigail intervenes. She'll later go on and tell Nabal exactly what she's doing for people like, wait, was she being kind of underhanded? Not at all. She was being wise. And she went to meet David. She sent messengers up ahead, and then she herself walked into the challenge that faced her. She doesn't worry. She acts. It's pretty amazing. It reminds me of, of women throughout history that, that when, when issues come, they know how to act. One of my favorite such women is, is from the Second World War, Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom is this amazing woman. 1922, she became the first woman in Holland as a li- licensed watchmaker. That was a big deal in Holland. They're people of the clocks. But in May of 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And at the age of 48, Corrie decided she had to do something to help. And so the story is well documented. Many of you read The Hiding Place. She created a, a closet for, for Jews and dissenters to protect people. She, she bravely dissents the oppression that's being handed to her. She doesn't worry. She acts. She doesn't worry. She acts. When, when, when issues come her way, she knows, I need to step out in faith and trust in humility that God will use me for bravery. She has this great quote. She says, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. And some of us in the room, we get caught worrying. We get caught in our own head and we, we're scared to act courageously. We don't want to be rushing off in anger or in pride, but we get stuck in our own head. And Corrie ten Boom is this example of acting in faith, courageously believing, not just worrying, but stepping out in faith. So this is the Abigail story. She, she goes out to face David. She, she goes out to face hundreds of men coming to kill everyone in her house. And, and she sends men out alone. And for whatever reason, either they get lost, or like men do at times, sorry, it's true. Or that David disregards. We don't know, but it's Abigail that confronts David. Face to face, out in the open, as David is coming to murder her entire family. She does this in courage. She does this in faith. And then she has this incredible speech. You can read it yourself this week. Verses 20 through 31. Where the servants have passed and she says to David, David, on me alone be the blame. She, she expresses this emotional intelligence because she didn't actually see the servants of David being disrespected. But she says, you know, I know there's dysfunction in my household and I know I want to be responsible. And so she, she, she shoulders the blame. She says, on me be the blame. And she, she faces David. She goes out walking into the challenge coming her way and she says, I will accept responsibility. And this speech in verses 20 through 31, it's incredible. I mean, it just, she, she says over and over again, my Lord. She's showing deference to David. She says, I'm a handmaid. And she says that six times. Over and over and over again, she's saying, you know, I'm not sure what I did, but I accept responsibility that my household is outside of God's best. And then she reminds David, do not do this thing that you do not want to do. She intercedes for him. Like we often use that word in the church for intercessory where we're going to go to God on behalf of people. We're going to intercede for people. Abigail does this reverse engineering where she intercedes to people for God. 
She becomes a guide for us. Seeing people that are in the midst of throwing their lives away, that are stepping into pride or anger or violence, and she bravely confronts them and in humility says, I may have been part of the problem, but I love you too much to see you throw your life away. She intercedes. She says to David, she says, this is not how you want to live. Do not put innocent blood on your sword. And, and she, she actually saves her family's life. She saves Nabal's life. She saves every servant in her house. She's, she's a type of Christ because she puts her own life on the, on the line for other people in courage and in humility, not acting anger for anger because I wouldn't work in this time in Israel. Not, not, not acting with pride like, well, I knew Nabal was an idiot, and but he's a fool. I don't know. You know no, she's like, hey, I, I have a part here. And and I'm going to, through this challenge, be faithful to Christ. Through this challenge, be faithful to God. And church, I want to encourage you in this moment, I need you to really kind of key in. That it is your hardest times endured that reveal the most about your faith in Christ. Like this Abigail, like she might have believed some things about worship of Yahweh. But it's in the midst of men coming to, to defeat her house. And encourage she steps out. And encouraged, she, she does not take the bait for anger. She does not take the bait of pride. And in humility, she says, I'm going to trust God in this situation. And she intercedes, David, don't do this. And in the midst of that hardest challenge of her life, her faith was defined. But we want to be defined by a, a, a conflict-free faith. The reality is every one of us in the room, it's in the midst of your most difficult times that God is writing the biggest narrative of faithfulness. And so walk into any challenge coming your way. Walk into the the pursuit of something coming at you. Walk into interceding for people you love saying, don't throw your life away. Keep walking in and keep walking on and do not take the bait for bitterness or blame or anger and just say, I love you too much to see you throw away what God has given you. Do not take the bait, but be like Abigail in humility saves David's life. She does it, and it's, it's beautiful. There's a quote by Madeline Lee Ingle about the way that we impact others. Madeline Lee Ingle writes this, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe or by telling how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely they, they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. This is the call of Christ, that he lives in us and our life is, is lived in such a way that that glory shines and then we're interceding and we're facing hard situations with courage and we're, we're being defined by the loveliness of Christ and the world is impacted from that place. The glory of Christ being displayed on us as people. I want to just read for you the few verses of, you know, she just, she puts herself out there in humility and disarms David's anger. And listen how the story ends in verse 32 through 35. David listens to her speech and sees her courage. And he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Praise be to God by her courage. May you, Abigail, be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand. It's a very intimate picture. 
which she brought him, all this food, all this provision, and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words, and I've granted your request. Go. Like, you, you've changed me, says David. He, he actually takes a vow earlier in the chapter that if people don't die, then he heaps their insults. The vow is discredited by her lovely display of God's use of her courage and her humility. And David's changed by the encounter. They'll later end up married later in the chapter that, you know, this is the kind of stuff when you read the Old Testament, it, it is tricky for some because of the patriarchy of it's written. People are like, well, I don't like how the chapter ends. Okay, but how about what the heart of the chapter is about? A warning against pride and anger and a choice with God living inside us for more wisdom, more humility, impacting others. That's the heart of 1 Samuel 25. Don't miss it this morning. This is a message for all of us. That humility over pride, courage over anger, that God is in control. And church, in every struggle you face, God can write a new story of hope born from courage. You don't have to be stuck in anger anymore. You don't have to be proud. Christ can work in you and change your heart to display his goodness. How do we know? Well, we have guides, men and women, who have done this for many hundreds of years with God as their guide. Corrie Ten Boom, she was arrested. And who, her and her sister, Betsy, held worship services in the German prison camp. They had smuggled in a Dutch Bible and they would read scriptures and then they would hear down the prison cells the scriptures being translated into every tongue of every person that was held captive. And in Corrie Ten Boom's recollection of those worship services, she said they were like little previews of heaven. Twelve days later, Corrie was miraculously released from prison due to a clerical error. And a week after that release, all the female prisoners in her camp were killed. God spared her. In 1946, at the age of 53, she started a worldwide ministry that took her to more than 60 countries over the next 33 years, preaching not out of pride, not, not out of anger, but preaching Christ from humility, preaching Jesus. And this is what Corey Ten Boom says, we have nothing to fear because Jesus is the victor. He'll never let us down. With Jesus, even in our darkest moment, the best remains. And with Jesus, the very best is yet to be. The very best is yet to be. In every challenge we face, these words of Corey Ten Boom, that through the scriptures that God is establishing in us and the very best is yet to be. Lord Jesus, let me walk into every challenge I face believing the very best is yet to be. I'm gonna deal with my brokenness. I'm gonna be disappointed. I'm gonna be hurt, but I'm gonna continue to intercede. I'm not gonna be stuck in these cul-de-sacs of shame, of pride, of anger. God, give me a new heart. It's you working in us, the church, that's transforming our city and the world the very best is yet to be and so women of this church be fierce we need you to be fierce and to be lovely with the presence of christ we need that and men of this church continue to believe and know that god uses men and women to remind us that the very best is yet to be that men and women are meant to be strong and courageous. And at times, conflict is unavoidable. And at times, anger is unavoidable. But as scripture as your discernment, figure out where you're being enslaved by pride and anger and believe with Christ working in you, the very best is yet to be. May Christ be honored in your life as you seek him. Humility, wisdom, 
I'm not going to go back to these old kind of traps. We need a new life with Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reminder from your word that you are alive, that you are changing us, that you do take us on this journey of courage, facing hard things. And Lord God, would you convict us and call us to account for places where we become accustomed to our own sin and brokenness and we're not dealing with it. Where we've been accustomed to places of shame that are keeping us enslaved. We've become accustomed to places where our anger is our defining characteristic. Places, God, where, where our pride has overwhelmed us and we're not seeing you move and calling us to more humility and more worship. But God, we know this morning the story of Abigail is meant to be our story. Facing the hard things in life. Laying our life down. In humility, God, considering others better than ourselves. That you will establish us and our power as we lay it down. Our love as we serve others. Our glory as we worship you. And God, this morning we're tired. We're so tired of the ways in which we've been just missing your best life. Will you move us as your people into more worship, more peace through humility? We want to encounter you again this morning, God. We're ready to encounter you again this morning. We love you. And all God's people said, amen.